episode 17, featuring Mike Riley. Let's go in. Height Zone World, we're back. I got two announcements to make before we kick things off. One, I'm setting up a show in Baltimore for my man Lord Grunge of Grand Buffet and Shark Tank. Real excited. One of his first solo shows in Baltimore. So get out there. We're going to have Mickey Free in the mix. We're going to have Echo in the mix and more to be announced. That's December 18th at the wind-up space. The other announcement is I'm playing the Friends Records five-year anniversary show. That's at the Auto Bar on the 19th and 20th. I play on the 20th. It's going to be a good look. But let's get into this, man. Mike Riley is the guest. You've been seeing him kill it with these covers week after week. And I really liked talking to him. What I really liked about this conversation was him describing being outside of this art world and not even really knowing what it is, but wanting to get into it and find a way to do his thing and slowly figuring it out. Um, but he's a real sincere dude, and I like the way he broke it all down. This episode is sponsored by Mike Riley Comics. Of course, so do check him out and see what we're talking about here. And sponsored by The Lineup Room, a recording and mixing studio located in Baltimore, Maryland. Check out lineuproom.com. See what's going on. Let's set it off. Uh, I grew up in Overly Fullerton, um, right in this area, like probably another five miles from here, 10 miles tops. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. And uh went to Fullerton Elementary School, Parkville Middle, Overly High School. Cool. Just all right in that radius. What was that area like at the time? Um, if you look at my I don't know. <laughs> so that's all I knew. I didn't never benchmarked it, never registered yeah. it against anything else. It was like generic. Like uh, if you looked at my the one comic I did with the autobiographical stuff in there, there's, um, like, I do a one shot of my house, and it's just, like, I don't know, just as generic as you can imagine. Like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> like a hundred of the exact same. They're single homes, but exactly the same. Not not too big, not too small. Everything was a strip mall. Like, yeah. just plastic, generic america <laughs> mm. what did your parents do my uh my dad was a vice cop vice and narcotics undercover officer i don't when know I was what, growing a, up. what a vice cop mean uh vice is gambling prostitution drugs moonshining i don't know vice is people that stuff that people fun stuff <laughs> that people <laughs> indulge in that it's like a lot of it's like victimless crimes if you think mm. about it, that that's what vice entails. So, yeah. but he did a lot of stuff. If I recall, he he was undercover, so he looked like a biker. Like he had like a big burly beard. He had a big afro. Oh, like I wow. look at pictures of him. <laughs> he wore leather jackets and 
torn up jeans and stuff. Yeah. So he was a cop, but he looked like a biker all the time. <laughs> oh, he wow. was he was undercover. And um like he scared the shit out of my friends, like like uh he used to do some wild stuff, like he would like take his gun out at the mall and stuff. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> like, like uh I don't know. I don't know why that just came to mind. But yeah, he, he did Wave not. It around. He did not look like a cop. He did not act like mm. a cop. He was he was uh, kind of wild, and um, and like uh, there's stories that he didn't tell me till he was retired for ten yeah. years, like crazy stuff that he was got involved or witnessed and things like that. Like what? Um, like one story is like raiding a house and. Like the way they used to, I guess the way they still actually they use SWAT teams for everything now, but yeah. the way they used to do it was like a small group of guys in the battering ram and they'd knock the door down yeah. and go in and like just run through with their guns up like like on TV. And um, he went into a room and there was a guy tying his shoes with a machine gun on the bed next to him. So like if he had, if he had time to tie his shoes, you know, like just yeah. like that was kind of dangerous stuff that he was on the verge of oh, all the time. Crazy. And, um, but he not, he didn't talk about it. And then, like, gruesome stuff, like, cleaning up crime scenes and things oh, yeah. like that. <laughs> but, uh, and my mom was a, uh, she was a clerk at a hospital. Like, yeah. kept records for doctors and ran stuff and at Franklin Square Hospital. Did you have brothers and sisters? Yeah, I got a younger sister. Oh, okay. Me too. Um, What's the age difference? She's three years younger than me. Cool, cool. And um, yeah, she was she was the the good one. <laughs> like she used to. Where I was talking about it the other day, how like she, I would have like my parents would go out of town and I'd have a party, and um, she would come down and hang out with all the older, like the seniors or whatever, yeah. or whatever. When we were just when we were kids, and she would hang out all night, and then the second my parents got home, she would. Tell him, <laughs> tell him, and divulge all the evidence, mm. that kind of stuff. But yeah. well, were you like doing this art? I assume from a pretty early age. Yeah, yeah. Like they always like. I always think that's a funny question. Like, when did you start drawing? Like a lot of people ask yeah. that, and it's like I think every kid draws. Like yeah. if you're in school, they they make you <laughs> kind of. And so, like, yeah, totally. like as far back as I can remember, I was like coloring, and uh, I used to win. I won two bikes from Sears catalog before I knew how to ride a bike. Like I had, I had, um, they had a coloring <laughs> contest or yes, things like that, and I would enter, and then I had like a bike in the garage that I didn't know how to ride until yeah. for like a couple more years. Um, but so yeah, I was was always drawing and uh filled up pages and pages of stuff i have like i have some of my old stuff um from when i was a kid but it looks very similar to what i do now (laughs) and then uh kept at it i was like i i mean i always drew i always loved that's what i wanted to do all the time yeah and then i kind of um but i never took it seriously until I was like in my thirties, <laughs> like as far as mm. like, like when I was a kid, like, um, 
even even at like very young, like elementary school, like adults would say like, well, you can't just draw pictures for a living. You can't like that's yeah. not a job. Like, yeah. what, what can you do with that? And like they were saying, like, like you should be an architect. I was like, oh, okay, maybe yeah. that's what I want to do. And but it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a list recently that was uh, jobs that almost no one has because they almost don't exist yeah. anymore but are in like every movie yeah. like oh the job is like <laughs> overrepresented like it'd be like investigative reporter or like <laughs> and one of them for men was like the architect uh-huh. it's like it, you know uh-huh. what I mean there's just not that many architects yeah. but it's like I, I know of a lot of there's a lot of architectural firms around, but there's probably not a lot of architects there. Probably, yeah. It's probably all computers. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like a fake thing of like this. I guess it's just a way to have a, to be like, he's artistic, but he also is rich. And yeah. like, he's chilling and like doing his thing. Yeah. So I thought that was what I was going to do for when I was in middle school or whatever. But yeah. One really ever. I remember when I was a kid feeling like yeah realizing I wanted I wanted to write music as my life basically and being like not ready to come out as saying that so I was like I want to write books (laughs) I don't know I just thought like my parents would that was smart (laughs) it was like yeah like buy yourself some time (laughs) to work out the details exactly a test run (laughs) kind of I was in bands too when I was young, um, but I have no musical ability whatsoever. Mm. Like I used to like hum or like just verbalize the sound, like the riffs or whatever, yeah. to my friends that knew how to play instruments. And I would write some lyrics, but I couldn't sing. Mm. And so they would give me like I was supposed to play rhythm guitar. Like I said, well, this will keep you out of the way. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like my hand would get tired after. 30 seconds. That was terrible. Mm. Do you kind of, did you ever get in a band to the point where you were like playing shows and stuff like that? Nah, this was like middle school and it was, we had practices, like weekly practices where we yeah. would try and, we would make noise in someone's basement and try to uh, come up with songs and maybe had like three songs yeah. at the, like as far as we ever made it. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, but not like friends that everybody that I played with at the time went on to have shows like in the years after, like yeah, not too far afterwards. But, oh, cool, cool. But I was uh, stuck with album covers and <laughs> posters and <laughs> stuff from that point out. What kind of bands was that? Like uh, I was probably probably you would call it punk. Yeah, it was just like real raw, just like thrashing around in the basement and, yeah and like yelling and but i would i would i probably i probably wouldn't sound like punk if i heard it now yeah. who knows what it sounded like <laughs> <laughs> but but that was kind of the goal like rock punk yeah i i was in the punk then before i had access to any rap music or anything like that mm. what was um, the punk music at the time that you were checking out I'm trying to think of where I, I was thinking about that earlier today, um, how I ended up listening to punk, because that's kind of all I listened to, um, 
like once I had started listening to stuff on my own. Yeah. And I think it was like a friend of mine's older brother had a lot of like Dead Kennedys was my favorite. Oh, okay. When I, when I was um, a little bit of Black Flag. Like yeah. the, just the, I don't know what era you would call that, but, uh, and Minor Threat and just that like classic punk stuff. Yeah. That's really interesting, and that's like what what like years would that be? I'm thinking. Let's see. I count backwards. Like uh, the stuff was pro. By the time I got to it, it was probably old. Maybe like I I remember like if I found a song I like, I would go back through the catalog. So yeah. so a lot of like my favorite stuff was probably older. Like from when I was too young to have any idea what I was listening to, but so I would say if I was in middle school, like late eighties, eighty seven, eighty eight, right in there, yeah, 86, yeah, yeah. 87, 88. Okay. License to Ill was I had to sneak it over to my friend's house. Mm. <laughs> like I was listening to that when it came out. Yeah, it was it was barred from yeah, his house. Like, <laughs> I'm trying to remember. I can't imagine my. I might have. It might have been self-imposed. Just you like, were ashamed. <laughs> yeah, like I was like, oh, this will probably piss my mom off. I'm yeah. <laughs> yeah, I better not flaunt it. But uh, I, some. I don't know if I, my parents usually were not. Didn't get in the way of anything like that usually. So yeah, I'm wondering if it was either my friend's parents or or if it was just like was so controversial on tv at the time that i decided to keep it to myself that, but, yeah uh, i i remember with me it was um it was all good and then for some reason like the red hot chili peppers was like that couldn't i could i wasn't allowed to have that <laughs> then i had to sneak that just because of the socks <laughs> i guess so I, I can't remember what it was but because I felt like my parents didn't care, and then, like, all of a sudden, something would upset them, and they'd be like, you can't have that. It's just kind of understandable, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I, don't, I can't remember. Like, I, I know my dad used to take me to R-rated movies all the time, like, not sweat it. Yeah. And I'd, I was traumatized. I, I've, like, gone back and looked at stuff. I remember seeing, uh, it was Sudden Impact by Dirty Harry with uh, okay. Clint Eastwood. Okay. <laughs> I remember... See, now they show it at, like, 1 p.m. on regular yeah. TV, like, unedited. Yeah. But when I was a kid, there was, like, the grand spoiler alert. The the end of the movie was uh, they're at, like, a carnival or something, and the the villain is at the top of a building, and when he gets shot and he falls, and he gets skewered on a merry-go-round <laughs> post. <laughs> and there's, like, guts all up it. Yeah. And I remembered, like, uh, like traumatized, like... Mm. <gasps> <laughs> like, oh my god like, I remember being so freaked out and I saw it at, like on a Sunday at like 1pm yeah and it looked like the worst claymation it looked so bad <laughs> it was like what What must brains be like now that see that right at, you know, one, in, one on a Sunday and I was like traumatized for like two days when I saw it in the theater <laughs> I, I feel like claymation violence is somehow like scarier than real violence like um like in like robocop you know like 
You know the scene where they're like, this is the new, like, yeah, machine, dude. It goes haywire and yeah, lights like everybody that, up. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that looks, like, scary as fuck. Even though it doesn't <laughs> look real at all. <laughs> well, yeah, probably because there's something unnatural about the movements. That's, yeah. That's got to mess with you, like, puppets. Yeah. Puppets freak people out sometimes, that kind of thing. Yeah. There could be some science there. <laughs> but I guess it's it's really interesting, I think, that you were this rap head from such an early time. Like, like, what was it about it that attracted you? To me, it, it was like a natural progression from punk. Like, some of the stuff... Like, this, the stuff that blew my mind right away, I remember, um, I don't think I, there might have been a little bit, like, I, I went to see Breaking. I had my dad take yeah. me to see Breaking. so, like, I don't even, I haven't seen it as an adult. I don't even know if there's any rap in there. I know um, Ice-T was in it. Yeah. But, yeah. but uh, so I always, I always liked, and I, too, I was a break I dancer. I, I was oh, in the true. third grade talent show, uh, popping and locking in uh, whatever year that was, and, um. So I was always I always liked that rhythm based music that type of um, New York sound or whatever and yeah and um and but I didn't like I was I found pop like pretty boring at a certain like as I became a tween or whatever yeah. <laughs> and and so I gravitated towards punk but like the first rap I saw like Public Enemy seemed like it was all those things it was like like punk, like the Dead Kennedys, for instance, I always thought, like, I wish these guys could play their instruments just a little better. Yeah. <laughs> like, I like the song. I like the, I like that tune. I like what he's saying, but he can't, he's just kind of screaming. It's hard to make it out sometimes. Yeah. And, and like, I felt like they weren't either they were, the recording quality was bad or they were, they were just kids going for it. That's right. probably what it was. Yeah. Which, and so that, Rap music had that. It had kids going for it, but it also had like the instead of playing their own instruments, the DIY was the loops or whatever, which yeah. which were good. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like they they worked out the musicianship by just right. borrowing and looping stuff. So it had a cleaner sound. Um, I don't know. It was more palatable to my ears. And but still had that energy and that like it's fun. It's funny. I, well, I was listening to uh, when Ricky Ray was on. He was talking yeah. about how um, social conscious rap was like an outlier, and like like the stop the violence and, and right. all. And like for me, I felt like that was like the center of it. Okay, from my perspective. Yeah. And I was pro- I was probably confused, <laughs> but like that well, like that was my introduction to rap. I was like mostly um, after DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. It was all Yo MTV raps. Yeah, yeah. And um, and like they Fab Five Freddy, I guess, was big on that. Whatever. Yeah. Like there was Boogie Down Productions and Public Enemy and Stetsasonic, and and they all had a similar social message to what was hidden in the punk I was listening to. Right. Um, and then, but it had a cleaner sound that I was more into and like dance music and yeah. that type of thing. So it was kind of a natural progression for me from punk to that. Yeah. And it was, 
like you would go into the record store and it wasn't there. Like right. I remember when I first started buying tapes, I'd go to Tape World and there was like a four foot cabinet was with rap tapes, like not even. Right, like, right. <laughs> there was, a, and like the whole store and there was just a little cabinet of rap yeah. tapes. Um, it was similar size to the punk cabinet. Yeah. And so it was like kind of an outlier, kind of interesting, kind of that always pulled me to see what, what's going on over here because all yeah. this stuff is boring. It's it, it's always interesting to me. Like, like I, you're probably, based on what you're saying, you're probably a couple years older than me. Right? Yeah. I'm like 33. Yeah. Like. Just turned 39. Yeah, yeah. Like, I feel like there's kids that like were yeah like five or six years older than me that like got swept up in like the like like breaking craze so early on like in the suburbs yeah. like um like you were saying yourself my friend jordan friend cx like it's like it's interesting like before even the idea of rap was really even solidified yeah. in it in the average person's mind that yeah. like breaking was this this like phenomenon you know yeah yeah i, I would like the third grade talent show i remember like people like swarming me afterwards like where did you learn how to do that i was right. like I just watch tv <laughs> <laughs> right. same as you um but yeah i, I was pretty intense about it Went for a, whatever eight-year-old kid <laughs> Made my dad take me to like opening weekend of Breaking Two. <laughs> yeah. Did, and did you have an idea at the time of like this is like a permanent thing, or like, or was it more just like this craze? Um, I have, I don't think my brain processed anything like that at the time. Like, yeah. Like I mean I I didn't think like it was always from one thing to the next i don't think i ever had like bearings to figure out like i mean it seemed like th there's music and this is one of the types of music like it didn't seem yeah i didn't know that it was new i didn't know that it was <laughs> i didn't know that it could have been a fad it just seemed like one of the things on the dial yeah 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 that's that's really cool like i remember um mickey telling me about being into like remember disorderlies yeah fat boys movie yeah <laughs> like being into it and not realizing that they were like a real rap group in yeah. real life just yeah. being like i like this movie <laughs> <laughs> you know? well but as i got older um like i i i remember like baltimore it was after it had appeared to me to have blown up like yeah like it was it had started to become ubiquitous like they started like um i don't know what bands would have been at the time but what groups but it seemed like everybody knew what rap was but i still couldn't find it on the radio yeah like, my, like i would listen to the radio hoping to find some and like the baltimore station seemed to all play r&b i don't know if i didn't have google to see what times they played rap right. or whatever but i could never find it yeah, it used and to so, be like one show, like yeah. one like mix show or something. Yeah, and I could never find it, so I, I had like I would video, I would 
tape Yo MTV raps. Yeah. And watch it like throughout the week. <laughs> yeah. And um but that was like the only source. Yeah. And luckily they put a lot of different stuff on there. And it was it wasn't it was too early it was nobody was there to corrupt it <laughs> like to say now nah, you got to play this so we can sell yeah. records because it was just all fledgling so got to see some authentic cool stuff yeah i don't i have no idea like where the source of where what they decided to play if they were playing everything and there was just not that like not that many people doing it yeah like i kind of had that impression like these are all the rappers that know, there are i know yeah <laughs> But Which that's was probably sure, not the case. I'm sure it was really fucking frustrating if you were like not <laughs> on there. You know? yeah. I don't know, you know, how far I'm jumping ahead here, but I thought it was tight. You mentioned like, you know, like we could talk about like how like uh, lo-fi social club started and everything. Yeah. Um yeah, so actually probably a big part of that story is um, talking about doing art when I was a kid and I yeah. drew all through um, high school. Like I took any any art class I could get, yeah. I took it. And I, I just, I, I like coasted. Like I, I, my work was always like the best in the class. Well, I mean, you know what I mean? But like just a high school art class where people yeah. didn't care. My stuff was always good, stood out. But I was just having fun, like, didn't take it serious. Like, I remember my uh, senior year, the art teacher used to, like, show me these programs at Hopkins, like, illustrating medical journals and stuff. Yeah. Like, this is what you should be doing. You should take it seriously. And I was like, and I was like, oh, that would be cool. But, like, <laughs> like never followed through on it. Just <laughs> right, kept right. coasting. Yeah. Kept doodling and drawing. And, and I did that all the way through college. I got oh. my... I got a degree in painting at Towson University. Oh, okay. And, um, but I really, like, and I, like, I got, a, I always drew, and then, like, my last two years, I got, like, a, I got a degree in painting, but I only painted, that's the only time I ever painted, was getting in the degree program. Yeah. So, and I was still just feeling it out, just figuring out what the brushes did by the time I graduated. Yeah. And I graduated, and um, I there was like a maybe two whole years where I didn't touch, I didn't even sketch in a sketchbook. I didn't, mm. I didn't paint, didn't draw, didn't do anything. It was just like done with school, started working full time, bought a house, and um, and I was like miserable, <laughs> mm. <laughs> like, and uh, I wasn't sure what it seemed like fruitless. Like, what am I going to do with it? Like, I I would like. I did go for two years, and then after that, I would do, like, like one weekend, I would stretch canvases and go on, like, a tear and, like, paint a bunch yeah. of stuff, and i just leave it in my basement, and, like, that was it, and I was, like, um, one time, I, um, I managed over the course of, let's see, I graduated college in 99 to, like, in those four, four years after I graduated, I had, like, maybe some slides and maybe a website with like six or seven paintings, like every painting I did in school. And yeah, and that, and that was it. It was like hardly anything. Right. But I, and I don't even remember emailing the guy. <laughs> like I just vaguely remember hearing that somebody had an art show at Autobar. 
Okay. Because my friend's bands were playing there. Yeah. And what so, bands was that? Um, Compression. Okay. It's like a hardcore band from, um, actually they're older than, I think most of them are older. Than, but like uh, Mouth Curved Moonlight and uh, USSA Pleasure Dome. Oh, yeah. Is, that's Greg, is okay. from Compression, who's my best friend, one of my best friends since I was like 10 years old. Oh, awesome. Plays bass in that band. And, um, and so I guess I sent off a link to my website that my yeah. sister made me, which was clunky, whatever. And, um, and like a year later, I got an email from the guy that used to book everything at Auto Bar. This was a long Todd? Yes. Yeah. I couldn't remember his name because I only met him once. And yeah. he's like, he said, we had an artist bail out. Would you want to come show your stuff? And, um, Oh yeah. So like yeah. I, uh, I did new stuff too. I like just was like lit a fire under me. Yeah. Just for this little upstairs bar show, and um, went and hung it, and and it was like the most rewarding thing I had done. It was just a little show, but I felt like really good about it. I invited people, everybody I knew, yeah. and, and um, it was up for a month. I sold like three pieces. I got an email. Um, I got a message on Facebook. To one of my to my Mike Riley comics page, probably six months ago, of a guy in Denver sent me a picture of his pool room in his house with the oh, painting nice. painting that he bought at oh, the Auto awesome. Bar in two thousand and two or three or whatever. Yeah, and he sent me a picture of it. It was pretty awesome. Um, but I was like, it's something I like to do, even though I was, and I was still. Except for like one vigorous weekend, I was still drifting with it. But but I was like, I need more of that. I need more of that. <laughs> I need to yeah. keep making stuff and sharing it. And so I started uh, networking with just looking for artists in Baltimore. Um, that like I started. I guess I started looking at who else showed at Auto Bar and what all the stuff they were into. And yeah, eventually ended up uh, contacting Sarah from Metro Gallery to when that first opened. Yeah. It was like they had a group show as their grand opening. And um, I went down and got a, two pieces, one or two pieces of paintings in that and um, some new stuff that I did just for it. Like, And, uh, and um, it's funny, like at the drop-off, I almost don't even want to say the guy's name. Yeah. Don't want to be <laughs> but my partner in the lo-fi was there. When um, I came when I came to drop off, yeah, and, um, and uh, I met him just real briefly, and just Sarah was really was great, really nice, and um, inviting, and that show like that kind of introduced me to the neighborhood and introduced yeah. me to like the what else was going on there, like all the the DIY bands, like and everything, like yeah, Station North was even though it was. It was closed. <laughs> Station North right. was pretty much closed at the time, except for Metro <laughs> and the theater. Yeah. It was still that fledgling, or that community was going strong, even yeah. without the venues. Um, and so I was like, just a glimpse of that was like, oh my God, this is, these people are just doing it. <laughs> like, I need yeah. to find out how they're doing it. And, um, and I was like, the guy, um, my partner, 
put out a call. I guess I was friends. It, it all happened through MySpace, but I, I saw through MySpace that he was looking for an investor to help him get Lo-Fi going. And um, I was like, like my heart was on fire from just this sudden reintroduction to the, or sudden introduction yeah. to this scene because I'd just been in the quiet neighborhood going going to work, going home, watching TV. Like, yeah. It's drud- all drudgery. All still in like Nottingham or? Yeah. Um, this was after I graduated school, I bought my own house um, pretty quickly. Oh, okay. And Here? In Parkville. Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah. Where I live now. So I've lived there for 15 years. Okay. Um, and so, but yeah, I was worked in Towson, went back there. Yeah. I had, um, and it was just like drudgery. Like, I mean, I was wasn't horrible but it was just not like a rewarding life yeah. <laughs> not the life that i was looking for what, or, were you, what kind of work were you doing uh i am still doing uh 401k okay. pension administration or actually at that time I, when i right, right when i got out of school i was i worked at office depot through school and when i got out i went full-time and i was full-time um a receiving manager at Office Depot for four or five years. Mm. Um, so when I went to Metro, I might have still worked at Office Depot. Um, okay. 2000, nah, I might have just come out of there. 2003, a friend that I played hockey with got me a jo- like an intro, intro level job, entry level job at uh, doing 401k plans, processing. Yeah. I didn't even know what a 401k plan was. <laughs> like, I, I don't was, exactly know either. Um, so yeah, I was doing that. And, um, and, uh, so yeah, I did that show. I met that guy. I, um, I thought like, like I was, I worked my way up at that company a little bit. I was didn't travel or anything. So I had a little bit of money, um, saved up for what I didn't know. And, yeah. and then when that came up, I was like, I might do something crazy. Cause I was, like I said, I was, I was, I was in a really dark place. I didn't know, no reason to be like, there wasn't anything wrong, but I was just like hating everything. And, um, I saw that as like a, a chance to, I don't know, reignite the yeah. creative side and, and dig into that. And that's what I did. It's interesting, like, what you're describing, like, like, you know, like, studying art, but not exactly really doing art, and and not really getting it out there, but kind of have, you know, and just working a job, and kind of having this, like, side identity is like, yeah, he, he's an artist. I feel yeah. like it's like, you're, what you're describing is like, many people kind of it like that forever yeah you know what i mean yeah i mean even before i had shown like my mom would say oh he's an artist like introduce me like that to her friends and stuff just because i had the skill set or whatever um and so yeah and even like when i got in there like i didn't have i didn't i didn't have a goal like i want to get in so i can have a show of my paintings or anything like that i just I don't know. I just wanted to see. I, I didn't even realize. I probably didn't even realize this at the time, but that I wanted to learn from people who were following their passions and 
Yeah. Like, like I think I accidentally <laughs> realized that's what I was doing. Yeah. Wanted yeah, to do. Yeah. And, um, so, cause yeah, cause I, cause like everybody that I, everybody that I would confide in or go to for advice on like what decision I would make with my life would say, <laughs> they all were like, that's crazy. That's ridiculous. That's, yeah. you're throwing your money away. And, but I couldn't hear it. And I, I kind of, like my best case scenario was like, maybe it lives and I break even. Like break, right. e- break even was the, the absolute best case scenario I yeah. envisioned. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I, like, like before Metro, I, I, I didn't, I didn't even know, like, it's so, like, people that know it think that that, that's what Baltimore is, like the DIY scene, it seems uh-huh. like. Um, but like, you ask anybody in the building that I work in in Towson, you ask 500 people and yeah. no one will know who Dan Deacon is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> even though he's, every people all over the world know him and, and he's like, like if you, if you know that you are interested in music and art, you know it, but like I, and I was, but like MySpace was just like my first glimpse at that. Like I just didn't, wander down <laughs> to station yeah. north and see what's going on like i i was pretty to myself when i was in college like at towson so i think there was probably some kids there had to be some kids from towson art program that were already tuned into that yeah but i just just never encountered it until until i met uh learned about metro gallery from myspace well it's interesting how yeah, you probably technically you're doing the right thing by being like, yeah, I'm in school, I'm following all my doing my all my assignments for my art <laughs> classes, but yeah, but you, you yeah, almost by saying by the book, you're almost like not you're almost I don't want to say you're going in the wrong direction, yeah, but it's like you're definitely doing doing yourself a disservice. Yeah. Like it's, I think you gotta have strike a balance there. And the yeah. thing is, like, at the time, if somebody would have said you could do whatever you want, I still don't think I would have figured it out. Like at that time, I was just like so drifting. Like my, um, even and even at that point when I was painting those paintings, it's like I didn't. Th- I didn't think I was going to be like a successful painter. <laughs> like I never thought that for a second. Like my paintings are mostly were just like fits of rage and like, like frustration. Mm. Like if you look at it, it's like expressionist. There's some spray paint and some um, charcoal and stuff in there too. But it was, it's really just like frustration, like encapsulated on or captured on a canvas. Frustration with what? Just, uh, just the what my life was at the time just mm. like just boredom and no no opportunities to express and, and like i said i didn't even know what i was wanted to express yeah it's a, like i like being introduced to the scene kind of helped me figure all that out yeah after the fact 
And um, and I, I mean, I like the scene. Like I wasn't, I was barely involved in anything. I kind of like <laughs> just observing. <laughs> like I, right, right. Like I, and like like I had like like being so programmed. I had like the questions I would have about people or like like if like I would ask them where they work and stuff and like do you have health insurance <laughs> and like like how do you, how do you do this like is there a safe way to do this like or a reasonable way to to pursue all this stuff and make time to do all this stuff and and so that's I was just like learning yeah and um a casual observer or an impartial observer and and where did you guys so when you first did lo-fi where did was it in Brooklyn for a minute? I got involved after that. Okay. Like the, they got ran out of the Brooklyn space because they were serving alcohol without proper licensing. Okay. And um, which, for those that may not know, we're talking about Brooklyn, Maryland, <laughs> not Brooklyn, New York. But it's, that's like, so crazy to me that there was a venue there. Yeah, I think I drove by it once. Mm. Like after the fact like just out of curiosity and i was like <laughs> it was very unremarkable <laughs> stretch of road there but yeah so i came in after that place shut down and he was he had like brokered the deal with the landlord at the 1826 charles yeah charles street and he needed uh some funding to finish the build out and get some equipment and get it up and running. And so that's when I came in. Like, what year was that? 2008. Okay. Maybe late seven, but I'm thinking eight. Um, and, like, when I walked in there, it was disaster. Like, there was, there was like, bricks falling out of the walls. Mm. And there was, like, there was some... Boards up, like they had blocked off where the bathrooms would be yeah. on the one side, and then just the framing, and that was it. The rest was like destruction, stuff hanging oh, wow. off the ceiling. Like there was like a, it was a boxing gym. Really? Here, yeah. Um, I don't know how long it had yeah. not been a boxing gym, but like the drop ceiling had collapsed, and there was like a Powerade cooler like tipped over like one of those yeah. big cabinets and then boxing paintings on the walls and stuff and uh i think there was a bruce lee mural on mm. like a rotting door or something um and they found a tommy gun machine gun in the <laughs> wall when they started stripping the walls crazy from like the 30s or yeah and apparently it was a that building was a brothel at some wow. point or yeah it was some kind of criminal operation and um so yeah i helped get him over the hump like funded the build out yeah madness i mean because it was i feel like we opened in september something and i i met him in like late july early august mm. and there was it was like unimaginably f far off like amount of work like not enough time and we were yeah. there we were there like around the clock for a couple of weeks wow. and still finishing stuff like there was wet paint for the opening and did you guys start doing like a bunch of shows right away um 
I'm trying. Like, we never had intended to, like, we always intended run every weekend and maybe do one or two week weeknight yeah. shows if the if the if it warranted like if somebody was in town or something yeah. and um so that was kind of that's pretty much how it always always ran yeah like the the first night i had been up for two days like straight like trying to get everything finished and then i like i had never organized anything like this yeah. was kind of trusting in my partner um and then he stuck me at the door, and, mm. and, and I never saw him again. Which is and I'm terrifying. Like, yeah, I'm like, I was like, I guess I'm a bouncer yeah. on North Avenue, <laughs> and um, and I don't like I've never done this before, yeah. and I'm not even sure where I am because I've been breathing paint and haven't slept in thirty <laughs> hours. And um, I said, I was like, aren't we supposed to count people? And he's like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And and I was like, like <laughs> the uh cops shut us down like second band in. Oh my six God. six band bill and the cops shut us down. It was it was ridiculous. It was Opening like, night? Yeah. That's insane. And I think uh Neil Neil thought it was cool. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, no. It's not cool. Not cool at all. Like we we probably should count people at the door from now on. Is that what they were like? How many people you got in there? You were like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't know how to answer it. I think I'm pretty sure I was probably the first person to talk to the cop, and I was like, I don't know. Yeah. And, um, and we were, we didn't have any licensing, so we were just giving away beer. <laughs> that was, it was, a, it was a disaster. But as these shows go on, you're saying you were in this mode of being like, being like, do you have insurance? <laughs> like, well, like, yeah, no, nah, I never really, I didn't go too hard with that. Um, I, 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 like, I did ask people, like, what they, what do you do for a living? Like, yeah, like, uh, and um, just kind of gauged off of that. I didn't really <laughs> ask yeah. them that many details but that's what i was thinking <laughs> like trying to discern yeah and um like this person pro- records prolifically and they they're tour how do you get a how do you get a month to tour right and and like just figuring that stuff out so which and i guess you're kind of like gauging for yourself like okay how am i gonna do this? yeah and, and, and i didn't even know how am i gonna do what i still didn't know Right. It, it right. was such a weird, it was a weird, <laughs> it was a weird experiment. Um, and, uh, and I did, I like go to shows like on occasion. Um, but it was, that was uh, like challenging uh, to do it like three nights in a row. Yeah. I'd never done three shows, three nights in a row in my life. So it was like, and then the whole time I was like, my Neil was kind of like a, I mean, his reputation speaks for itself. At the time, I, I asked, I vetted him thoroughly. I asked friends like Greg from, that had played at the, uh, Greg from USSA Pleasure Dome and people that, I, and Sarah and people that I knew and like, what was this guy like? And everybody spoke highly of him. Yeah. And then, like, flipped a switch. <laughs> um, so once we, once we got going, I started to 
the story started to come unraveled. Like what I signed up for, like he claimed to have had all this stuff in like, uh, like you mentioned insurance, like this place was insured. Um, he had, uh, temporary liquor license that somebody was going to give him, which I found out later were fake. Like he was changing the dates and sticking it on the wall just to, just to convince me that we could sell (laughs) alcohol. Um, he brought in another partner, um, that he gave a percentage of ownership to in exchange for accounting services. Like, yeah, we need an accountant, somebody to keep track of what's coming in and, and, um, like a bank account and that type of thing. And, and I signed off on that. And then talking to the guy, he was like, Oh, my sister's an accountant. (laughs) (laughs) And like, it just, yeah, quickly. And just more of the same as far as like reckless stuff, letting, letting people pile in and it got, I, I was way in, in way over my head pretty quickly. It's it's interesting, like you coming in coming into it, like like you're the investor, and he he's got to like prove to you that it's it's legit, mm-hmm. <laughs> something like. I feel like there's so many like somewhat DIY venues where like everybody involved is like fuck it, yeah. But you you're like trying to keep it legit, but he's just like changing the dates on these fake liquor license for you or something yeah the other thing he did is i i gave and i kind of don't want to know but i I have a feeling that like like the check i wrote the initial like when i signed the paperwork and wrote the check and and uh the dude (laughs) quit his job like a week later and i and Mm. i'm thinking this money is designated for this but what I've learned uh, about Baltimore real estate since then is that the landlord funds refurbishment for new, like that's pretty standard in, in Baltimore is like if you have a new tenant, you fix the space before they come in. I know that's not universal, but but I... That's what you would expect for that space now that you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and also the fact that <laughs> this guy quit his job <laughs> two weeks after I wrote mm. the check. And then I still had to write more checks, like for like all oh, the flooring guys are here, and they they need mm. one hundred and twenty dollars to finish the job, and like yeah, and uh, oh, we don't have a first aid kit, and this kid just cut himself. Mm. <laughs> like like I I was like the only responsible one uh, on oh. that team, and so I was just like sinking, sink like started spiraling around as far as like. The uh, viability of the place. Wow. Uh, like then it got really bad. So how? So how did it all like fall apart? I like, mean, it was like just one thing after another with with uh, like all his like his web of lies wow. <laughs> started to come undone. Um, there was he told a lot of people they were investors like. I won't name the guy, yeah. but like somebody that paid for a lot of the sound equipment and then he's, he sold all the sound equipment. And I think that he, uh, he actually had to get out of town. <laughs> like, 
to yeah, escape. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. But, <laughs> oh my god. But like he pissed off a lot of people. I heard that um like the rumor was that people were or he was stealing stuff from bands, like selling bands equipment, <laughs> stealing their shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's like low as low as you can get. And um and like like by the time it all like he was living under the counter at one point. Mm. Like I came in, he was under the counter with like Kleenex all around him. Like I don't know what the fuck <laughs> what was going on. But uh and I was like that was in January. So or it was like January of that yeah. same year, the two thousand so yeah. it been two thousand and eight. And um and like, man <laughs> I think I made a big mistake here. Wow. And um I there was something that he told me that I paid for. Like I I, I did invest I investigated the insurance. Like mm. I went and I was like, tell me the name of the insurance agent and I went and found out that we didn't have insurance. Like that was a big thing for me is that yeah. if I'm if someone gets hurt here, like it could be my my house, you know. Yeah. And if we're not, if that stuff's not squared away, and um, when I found out that was a lie, I was like, I was, I was gonna, um, I didn't have any money. I sunk so much money, and I didn't have enough money to even talk to a lawyer to see what I should do next. Yeah. And um, he just uh, he vanished. He hitchhiked to Canada. Was the story. Like in the middle of the night, he sold the rest of the sound equipment and disappeared. And um, <laughs> and so, uh, Carl, I don't know if you know Carl Ekdahl. Yeah. Um, he was he was there. He was like assist, assisted us with everything every step of the way. He's um, and um, he actually said I like I still had the keys to the place. We still yeah. had a lease. And he was gone. The sound equipment was gone, but he had uh, people that wanted to run shows there. And I was like, "Go for it! <laughs> here's, yeah. here's the key." And um, he coordinated with um, Josh and uh, 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 there was um, the core group that formed the Hexagon were his friends that he Miguel, Josh, and Miguel, yeah, um, who played together. And they just started doing mostly electro shows there and like uh chip tune, whatever. I don't yeah. know what kind of like experimental electronic music and, and all. And they started running shows regularly and then they formed or they uh turned it into like a collective. Um and I was I was I was done with it. I was like curled up at home, like sobbing oh, really? for <laughs> like when once I got out of it. I actually yeah. eventually got a I got a um, lawyer that wrote me up something to send him to say that like that I wasn't owner because of all the fraud or whatever. Right. In so many words, and that he owed me my money back, <laughs> and I, I knew I wasn't getting it back. Yeah. But, but uh, just to take that legal action, so I wasn't associated with the place, and um, and uh, so but they actually made a run of it. They started doing shows and and using that just like volunteers and yeah like that it was not commercially viable without a liquor license or anything like you yeah. can just have shows and make money there so yeah um so they figured that part of it out getting volunteer and um like 
budgeting how much to pay utilities and things yeah. and stuff that I thought that I wasn't ready to do. Um, and then, um, so it was probably at least several months before I even went back and looked at the place. Mm. I still had keys. I just never, yeah. <laughs> I just was like done with it. I was, um, just concentrating on work and whatever. Yeah. And, um, and then I started going to the volunteer meetings and I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> These people, yeah. it was like what I was looking for originally. Right, right. When I started seeing how people operated down there, I was like, oh, they're doing it. <laughs> it's like, and then I got to just volunteer and be a part of it and learn again. And, yeah. And, um, I mean, those guys made it happen. But that's that's when I started booking shows. Like, I think I only booked one or two shows at the lo-fi. Okay. Mostly I was just watching. Right. And But then when, when Hexagon came, I was like, started contacting bands that I liked when I saw them, or like, like I saw you, and then I started looking at your stuff online, and then started finding different stuff in Baltimore artists that I was yeah. like, oh, I would love to see them play. Like, email them and then so yeah and then i also got to do um started doing a lot of uh like still didn't like to go out that much <laughs> like i go to show i go to a show if i threw it but i didn't go to yeah. many other shows there but i got to i was doing flyers constantly i would do flyers for every show mm. like that's something i can do that's something i'm comfortable doing i can contribute i could i did um online call it marketing coordinator something like that where yeah. i would send flyers to people to print for like street team and then i would uh just run the facebook and the myspace and and uh twitter and that seemed like something i definitely remember yeah meeting you early on and like it seemed like it was definitely like very exciting it, it, like like I could tell you felt really good about like making these posters and then like seeing the effect that has on like getting people out and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, I still like, I think about that time and I was like, for whatever reason, I was still like, I was a nervous wreck at every show. Like mm. I, I didn't, there's only a few instances where I got to like enjoy <laughs> like yeah. relax relax and enjoy what i was trying to do yeah um because it was like i don't know i felt a lot of responsibility for everything to go right and and i was like I don't, my chemistry was way off with a lot of people for whatever reason what do you I, mean i don't know if it's because i wasn't around like like a lot of those people already knew each other and i was kind of like an out always an outsider yeah um so like i don't know sometimes I'm I'm not like I used to be a lot worse like just social anxiety and stuff. Kind of grown out of that in recent years. Sorting yeah. other stuff out gives you the tools to sort out those types of things. Right, but, right, um, right. So I don't know. I always just was like I I try to be professional, I guess, mm -hmm. when people were used to just like, hey, how's it going? Like, you know, just like casual. Yeah. And I, and I think it weirded people out like they're trying to figure out like What's this guy's deal? <laughs> like I got that vibe a lot of totally. time. I, and like, oh sorry. Nah, and it made sense. Like why? Because I didn't know why I was there. 
Like yeah. I was figuring it out as I went. Right. And so I definitely understood. Plus, being another Mike Riley, that added to it. Because some people would, <laughs> they would expect that guy who run, who's thrown a thousand shows and they come and meet me and I'm like, what do you want to do? I don't know. Like, <laughs> can I get you some water? Right. And yeah, and he, <laughs> he runs a bit. He, he mainly ran the Charm City Art Space shows, right? Yeah. Which is like two blocks away or something. Yeah. And, um, so, so yeah, like, I mean, this, this is way more than we've ever talked. <laughs> we've yeah. done stuff together for five years. Like, I just, like the setting, I never got adjusted to that setting to like chill out. And, like I was always like getting stuff ready before and yeah. breaking down after and locking up and thinking like, I got to get out of my car at three in the morning with an envelope with of cash but like <laughs> with an envelope of cash and that type of thing i was always uh like a kind of a wreck and my, and by the time i got to be the hexagon i was it was old like a lot of younger people yeah like i was like I was the oldest person there by far yeah which people i, I don't know i think i looked younger at the time because when i would tell people my age they would like, <gasps> right, right, right. <laughs> like uh, um so that was all kind of disconnect with, like I had, I made some really good friends there and I have some people I keep in touch with, but yeah, just a handful. And, and so like with the hexagon, like, like how did, how did that eventually stop having shows? Uh, as the, I think the neighborhood came together, like a, a big part because of the lo-fi and the hexagon, the neighborhood came up and like a coffee shop opened yeah. next door and um restaurant around the corner and of course Joe Squares is probably like the Joe Square and Metro were like the anchors. Um but when that middle area opened up they wanted they could they had a lot more options for the real estate, I think. I think they just didn't want to renew or they couldn't I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't in the inner circle at that point. Like yeah. they had a control group that met and I was like just below that as the oh, okay. as the um marketing coordinator or whatever. Yeah. Um and I think uh I think they just didn't renew the lease. I think mm. she figured she could get more. But now it's like Dan's studio or something, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean he could I don't know what his rent is. But <laughs> I'd love to go back in there and see what it. Oh, you should see it. Yeah. Go knock. <laughs> They're in there all the time. Like, it's very weird to to like go in there and it's just one guy's studio. Uh, I would I would love to take a peek. There's a crazy like um like perfect soundproof room there where you can like you walk in and you actually hear like sounds within your own body that uh. ever hear. <laughs> got it freaky <laughs> but um so yeah um i think the core people were it was a lot of work to run it sure yeah and like like uh josh um he uh he was he was kind of like 
powerhouse the whole thing. Like if stuff needed to get done, Josh Atkins, he, he mm. got it done. And um, I think he was ready to go in a different direction. And um, he works for Beats by Dre now. <laughs> He's like an engineer. Oh, wow. He moved to California. Um, but I think without him to like as the glue, like it was just unsustainable. So, wow. So like they won... We won the DIY award for best uh, for the city paper best DIY space or best multi-purpose space or something, and then shut down like two weeks later. Oh, <laughs> that's well. I guess like as that was ending, is that is that when you were starting to like pick things up with with like the new stuff, like the the comics and everything. Um. Yeah, the comics were kind of like a a convergence of like those experiences. Like I saw, like what I what I learned from that is is that just just keep doing it. Like w- whatever you want to work on, just keep working on it. Like, yeah, and and like I like I modeled myself like work ethic wise after like the musicians, and it was always like. Um, it seemed like I needed like deadlines and I needed uh, like to set a goal and, and reach it. And like, that's how I was going to snowball my work, like whatever I was doing. Yeah. And um, it really was like to to go back into comics. Like I drew comics when I was a kid and then I like in middle school and then I was like, whatever, lost interest. Yeah. Um, and so I remember like my very, like I was, I had my own Twitter account, like my personal Twitter account when I was running the Hexagon Twitter account. And, um, and I was just putting like one liners out there, like observations and just ridiculous stuff. And like the people, I taste sound stuff. Yeah. These were just yeah. tweets though. Oh, oh just okay. the words. Yeah. And people were, people were commenting on them like, you sure you don't do drugs <laughs> like <laughs> you, like that's that's hilarious and and uh like um like people were laughing at them all like mentioning them to me and all and um i don't know if a if a person said those would make good comics or what but i was like um just decided to start like doing them as yeah. comics so instead of tweeting i started drawing them and or I even went through like I went through my last 150 tweets or whatever, and I picked out ones that were could translate into a comic. Oh. And um, so the when I first started posting comics, it was a combination of tweets and and the thing I and I kind of stylistically was influenced by Twitter because I wanted just get it down and put it out there, like. You've got, like I've got this idea. I want to make it into something and share it real quick, like Twitter. And that's so I drew them as plainly as could be. I like they're like they got better unintentionally. Like I got yeah. too good, too used to the stylus on my computer where I couldn't make a bad like the lines <laughs> is bad. Um, so they so they did smooth out, but originally they were just like scribbles. Mm. And I just throw the idea down, and I was doing one a day for I did one a day for like three months, mm. and 
and it was it was unlike Twitter. I was like held myself like I wanted it to be funny. Like I didn't want to put one up just to put one up. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so like sixty days into that, I started losing my mind. It was it was a lot of work wow. for simple comics, but just to like I wanted a concept that's a different take on something, and um, so I, I worked hard at it. And then I like I amassed this body of work and um a good friend of mine uh rich gollinghorst who i'd known him he used to be there when i would sneak the beastie boys cd into my friend's basement yeah. he was like my, one of my best friend's cousins from when i was a kid and he had a print shop and he saw my stuff on facebook and said like you, you need to put a book together i was like oh. i was like i wasn't ready for it but he he drug me along and put that first book out and um, he like uh, he helped. He got a designer to to put the actual book together with yeah. my stuff in there, and and published, printed, published and printed the first book. And um, it it's just like that was like uh, took off from there. Like this is what I want to do. This was like wow, I have a book. Yeah, <laughs> it's like I can have more books. And it's not that. It's not. There's some good stuff in there. Um. I printed way too many of them. Printed like four hundred of them, and I still probably have a hundred, mm. <laughs> hundred fifty of them in my I don't closet. Know, man. Five years later, four years later, I feel like it's it's good. I feel like you should you should have enough that you should still have some for a few years. You know? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, well, I've been doing smaller runs with my more recent projects. Yeah, I'll do like a hundred of them. Um, I also do digital printing now, which is cheaper. Like you can get, I got a guy in Pennsylvania that will print a hundred and get them to me like in two days and oh, you don't wow. have to pay all that setup fee for the yeah. printing and all. And he's just like, as long as I order a hundred, he can turn them around quick. Can he do the, the, the like comics? Like yeah. Everything I, everything oh, I print now wow. I go through Kness in Pittsburgh, like a little one man shop, but he's got a digital printer. What was your thinking in expanding into like on comics yeah like uh i've always like i i read comics growing up and i appreciated comics and i um i actually it's in the, the autobiographical story where i was playing dungeons and dragons <laughs> like in the one yeah. scene in, the, in my basement and so like i've always like my mind will just run with a story so even when i a lot like i could go through that first book and there's one page with like a real simple gag but as i was drawing it like a story came off of it like yeah in my, like the scene continued to play out and so um i started doing like it, like i started i introduced the character um mr peeps the goat yeah. <laughs> like he was, he was original originally he was in a uh, a single panel comic and it was uh called petting zoo idol in the american idol uh font and it's like i'm sorry mr peeps your balls are too big and oddly shaped you're not going to hollywood or whatever <laughs> like he wasn't going to the petting zoo because he had weird balls and like it was intended as a one panel thing yeah but like i got a lot of people wanting to know what happened to him next yeah no, i say a lot like 
three friends <laughs> that saw yeah, it, one of them yeah. now, and like, but asked a lot. And I actually had a story in my head. So then the first story I told, comic story, was I did like 30 panels in a row. I did a whole month of Mr. Peeps going to Hollywood yeah. anyway <laughs> on a skateboard with a dead fish. And, uh, and so, and then, um, then I got the first comic book I did was I got invited by, there's a comic shop, Collector's Corner in Parkville. Mm. that um when i when my first book came out they were like big supporters like they oh, put cool. it online and they were um telling their, like announced it on their page and were promoting it and and ask invited started inviting me to their events like local creator is here and um one event they had was a 24 hour comic book day and it happens every like a first saturday in october yeah um all over the world oh, now wow. where you like certain locations you go and you have 24 hours to draw a 24 page comic book and um so i had i went in to that and um i was like all right i think i could do it yeah and um i had one panel like i took one of my one panel things that had a story associated with it um, are you, sorry are you doing this in the store yeah and and I work all digitally, so I went into this room. I had my Mac under my arm, yeah. <laughs> and I walked in, and I had to get extension cord. And I'm sitting <laughs> at this table with my Mac while all these kids have these, uh, and like most of them weren't t- taking it seriously. Like there was these kids that I was like, "You're gonna be asleep by ten o'clock." Yeah, <laughs> but like they were having this loud debate about uh, Aquaman fought superman <laughs> like i swear it went on for an hour and it got louder and louder and um but uh yeah so i uh, like you weren't supposed to even think about the story ahead of time mm. so i tried to do i tried to be on like stick with that um, yeah but i did have the panel coming in it was a one panel thing the original comic was um uh, parents don't be afraid to talk to your kids no one wins at peener sticks. And it was these like toddlers like holding their crotches <laughs> with sticks. <laughs> and so I did a 24 page comic in 24 hours where the American peener stick team went to the Soviet Union <laughs> to fight the Soviets and uh, in peener sticks. And that was my first sequential book. Yeah. I did 24 pages and it was so grueling. But I wrote all the gags and organized all the panels just in that 24-hour stretch. Wow. And it was pretty well received. Like, people saw people read. I watched people read it and laughing and, like, the story made sense. And Yeah. I was like, that was a lot of fun. I'm not going to do it in 24 hours again, but I want to start doing that. And so then I started doing short stories. It's interesting to me, like... I'm pretty ignorant with like comic books i wasn't i wasn't like a huge head when i was a kid yeah i wasn't either i had a handful that i liked and that was it yeah I mean, and, but like i remember there was one i liked that was called Gru. okay yeah. do, Gru do you remember Wonder. that yeah but like i guess i was like into it because it was like i was like yeah this is actually comic like yeah this book is actually like funny and like 
like I I can't think of many comic books that are actually like that that are actually like humorous comic gold yeah. yeah yeah um yeah and like uh well, Gru the Wanderer um has been lettered by a artist named Stan Sakai who uh-huh. is, he's like my favorite he's like when I started doing sequential stories, he was one that I liked when I was a kid. He did a book called Usagi Yojimbo, and it was a like feudal Japan, but with furry animals instead of people. <laughs> okay, yeah. And uh, it wasn't funny per se. Like he followed the, um, the like he meticulously studied the history and yeah. told those stories um, with these characters. But he actually does the lettering on that, and. Um, oh. I learned like he's kind of like stylistically and um like his characters are simple they're not like super detailed they're like kind of elbow arms or what do they call them uh, noodle arms is what I hear some artists like yeah bitch about like how they're not articulated and they're not like like they're just cartoon characters you know yeah and so he did that but he told these epic stories it's like 26 years he's been doing it and um when i when i decided to get serious about sequential books i had had a bunch of his stuff from when i was a kid but i bought the whole series 26 years like collected volumes and oh, wow. i studied like the panels i took pictures of the panels and like saw how they fit together and like just dissected like 26 years worth of his work to see what worked and how how you got from one panel to the next, how you, like, if you want to portray this, like, I, I think, uh, definitely going on a tangent here, but no, I think no. uh, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of great artists that couldn't touch comics, couldn't, mm. wouldn't have a stand a chance because of the amount of decisions that you have to make, like, on a page um, to to convey the story, to keep things moving, but not to show too much, um, where the word bubble goes, that it makes sense when your eye moves across. And like, there's so many decisions on a page where, um, that drawing skill doesn't help <laughs> like necessarily. Really? Yeah. And so, so that's why I like, I liked, I like Gru and him because they draw these cartoon characters, but you can tell any story. He can tell any story that anybody else could tell, but he does it in these simple shapes and things. And, yeah. And so that's kind of what I go for. Like, for one thing, my skill level only goes so far, so I, I need to work within my skill level and but not take... Like, I can draw realistic, but I couldn't get it. I couldn't get a book done realistically. It would just take too much time. But with the time I have, yeah. I like I like to simpler style cartoon uh, like i want them to be fun and yeah even like the book i'm working on now is like a sequel autobiographical some another collection of stories and it's it's some really dark stuff like about uh getting my face shattered and things like that but, oh man but i still want it to be fun and yeah like, there's there's parts of it that i'm going to emphasize that are uh like yeah in that zone like, how long does it take you, for one, say, say a, a Height Zone world cover, but also, like, like the stuff with, like, atomic books and stuff like that? Like, like how long does, like, a one, 
I guess one panel thing usually take you? Um, it depends. Um, I think I'm trying to think of the longest I've ever spent on a. Usually, the height zone worlds have been one thing I do is I cut and paste your face. Yeah, <laughs> it's not obvious. Like I save myself no, no. some drawing by cutting and pasting your face and using it over and over again. Definitely. Um, I just change the scale depending on what the. Uh, those are also there's not a lot of design decisions because I'm mimicking the album cover. Right, right, right. So I know where everything goes, so I don't have to fuss with that. And um, I've got a system where, like, when I open a file, I set a rough layer, color layer. Um, line layer and then shading layer and highlights mm. and so like I set all that up so that I like I know where stuff goes like if it's the shadows it's like yeah um, I've got a system down so I could probably um, I think I probably still work like probably two hours two to two maybe three hours on each one yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then um, the one for this episode I worked longer on because <laughs> it's, it's double-sided. Yeah. But, and it's you. <laughs> yeah. Got to come, come legit. <laughs> and I, I, I showed that to a friend that draws, and I was like, does, it, does this look like anybody you know? <laughs> like just, <laughs> and they're like, uh, maybe you? Like, well, what could I do to make it look like me? And they're like, droopier eyes, <laughs> um, darker hair, smaller bald spot. Like, do you, where do you find yourself as far as like, with like balancing like business concerns and like, and like your, Mike Riley Comics Enterprise. Um, like you mean like day job, or yeah, like like do you, I guess do you have aspirations to be like that? This is the full time deal. I've I've heard a lot of. There's been a lot of uh, like when you when you go to comic shows, um, there's a lot of like panel discussions and things. Yeah. And uh, I've heard artists talking about it, or musicians talking about it lately too. Um, where it's like, like if you're known for doing comics or playing music, you want people to think of you in that light, and you don't want to talk about your like day jobs yeah. and stuff like that. Even like, I mean, like I did a show in um, Philly, the Locust Moon Comic Festival, and there was like the biggest names that you can think of in indie comics, people that are working for image comics and doing their own thick graphic novels that sell all over the world. And they're also have day jobs. Right. Like to a certain extent. Yeah. And, um, and there's, so there's very few that are, and it's like, it's really refreshing to hear people be honest about that. Yeah. And like, I think it's important for people to be honest about that. So I've, Every step of the way, I always try and be realistic. Like, when I was a kid, I would think, or even, like, when I was in college, and I was, I was like, 
I've got a lot of good ideas. I'm, I'm pretty good at drawing. Somebody needs to discover how talented I am. Yeah. But I wasn't doing anything. <laughs> I right, was like, right. like, like, I just need somebody that works at some video game company to see this idea that I yeah. <laughs> have, like, scrawled in the corner of my notebook. Yeah. And then I'll be set. And, um, like, that's something that I learned from, like, one of the lessons I learned in the last few years was that it's, you... You gotta make. You gotta want to make the work, and you gotta make the work, and that's that's really it. Yeah. Like if anything else comes of it, then there's definitely possibilities. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't, I don't env- like, and I have like my wildest dreams. I do have an idea. Like if yeah. if if uh, somebody want to produce a cartoon in one of my stories or something, yeah. you know, like that's I haven't ruled that out, but realistically, I'm. I'm content to keep doing what I'm doing. I've got like started the the Chimera Likely and the uh, Goatscape projects, which are going to run a few books each. Oh yeah, yeah. And um, eventually be collected volume that I could sell or pitch to studios. Yeah. Like if I had like Fantagraphics or somebody that wanted to publish that for me, that would. That's like my my biggest realist. My biggest goal. Like I want to have it where I can at least submit it to be published. I want to have a yeah a piece of work that's warrant would warrant submission like that. Yeah. So that's what I'm building off of, and uh, or building towards. And thankfully, I don't require a lot of sleep, so mm. I can do my, I can work my full time job, and then my wife goes to bed at ten, and I stay up for three more hours and get mm. all my work, and then. It, but you feel like you feel like comfortable in that as of now, like burning the candle at both ends. I guess not comfortable, but okay with it. Um, yeah, I mean, like, like my dream, not my dream, but like I know I have a friend who makes comics and she works. She's a web designer, yeah, part time, like twenty four hours a week, right? And then she does has life and comics, yeah, outside of that. Um. And I think that would be a pretty sweet gig where you have like some consistent income to yeah. to live from. Um, but you have the time that it takes because comics are very time consuming. Mm. Um, and so like there's seasons where my job wants me to be there more than usual. Yeah. And I've kind of like moved from job to job to try and manage that to get yeah. to a get to a comfortable place. Like I work closer to home now because the hour in the car would makes me nuts. <laughs> like I'm like well, I'm wasting oh. so much time <laughs> driving oh. to Owings Mills. So like I've kind of I've tailored my day job to help to to coordinate like. I, I fulfill my duties, but in the back of my head, it's that's never my priority. Like I, yeah. I do what they need me to do, but I, for the most part, I'm structuring. I'm what is it? Work to live, don't live to work. I don't right. know. That might not apply, or I might have got it backwards. But. No, no, you got it. You got it. <laughs> but yeah, so so that I can afford the equipment I need and have the time I need. Yeah. Um, 
and I'm I'm pretty comfortable where I'm at with that right now. Right. Well, when's the when's the new comic coming? The new book is it's hashed out. It's um it's a story about when I was I got my upper jaw shattered in a high school lacrosse stick. Oh yeah. <laughs> And, uh, Playing lacrosse? No, or? I was just dicking around in the locker room. Oh. <laughs> so there's the the comedy. <laughs> there's where the comedy comes in before I get disfigured with a stick. <laughs> um, and I like it's it's it was like very traumatic, like PTSD level stuff. Mm. Like I had, uh, and I tried not to think about it. Like I, not intentionally, but it was out of my mind. And then I started like digging it all up to do this book and it's oh, like, wow. like oh my god i'm realizing how horrible it was but how there were some funny things in there like uh like i went to the dentist and i was calling him a, can you say can you cuss on me? yeah <laughs> like i was like 16 years old like uh, 165 pounds tops and I had my upper jaw was shattered and this pediatric dentist that I still went to with like toys in the lobby and right, stuff right, right. took me back there. He didn't have gas. He just had needles. And uh, he was like, he couldn't get the needles in because there were shards of bone. And uh, <laughs> it, was, it was gruesome. It was so gruesome. I broke the arms off of the chair, like the metal arms. I broke them off. I was a little kid. Yeah. And... um. And I kept calling him a motherfucker. I was like, you motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> and the dentist said to my dad, I didn't remember this until I until I started making notes for the book, but like, does he always talk like that? He's <laughs> like, nah, it's a first for me. I called a pediatric dentist a motherfucker over and over again while he was trying to give me needles, bending the needles. But uh, so that's, and I have had some other projects that have, pulled me away from it but i've mm -hmm. got like i'm about eight pages into that book so hopefully i have it by uh january february oh awesome and some, sometimes i when my schedule gets cleared and the mood hits and i grind grind stuff out um so it might start flowing at some point but right now it's i'm back and forth between it cool cool and i also have a book I owe I owe someone a book. I've got mm. a guy that I collaborated with on um, Dave Crispino. It wrote um, this book, Commuters, uh -huh. and it's uh, I don't think you've ever seen it, but it's pr it's my mm. most realistically drawn comic. Oh wow! Like there's a lot of cars in it, and it was like it was like probably two hundred hours worth of work, like wow. to get like a fifteen page issue done. And uh, we've done two issues, and we have one that needs to wrap up. And I've been, like, dreading getting back to it just because I feel like I need to do it in that same style. And that yeah. style is very labor-intensive. So, but that'll be coming this year, next to 2015. Will be awesome. the conclusion of Commuters and uh, and at least one more Chimera, likely, and one more Goatscape. Oh, awesome. So, that's my goal for the year oh cool man thanks a lot for you it it's good times all right thank you so much to mike we'll see you next week